0: So hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the and Podcast with me, Ben Hudson. And me, Stuart Thompson. So Stuart, how have you been these past few weeks? Did you catch much of Glastonbury? There's been a few things happening around that.
1: Yeah, well the music uh, was probably more important than the politics, certainly for that weekend. Uh, yeah, a bit of Guns and Roses, a bit of uh, Arctic Monkeys, a few other bits and pieces as well. So we didn't, uh, we didn't manage to catch up with the Elton John one, which my wife was quite... Uh, Keen to do so, maybe I was a, maybe I was a little less keen, but yeah, some some good music going on.
0: Yeah, I have to say my my favourite act of the weekend was uh, Rick Astley. To be honest, I thought I thought he was absolutely brilliant, but um, but yeah, I've I've a watch on iPlayer. Sure, it is great. Um, so yeah, so a few things have happened hasn't he since the last time we met? So big news from the past few weeks has been around inflation not dropping as much as the Bank of England expected or the, or the government expected and. The knock-on, knock-on impact, basically, this has had on interest rates, uh, the cost of living crisis more generally, and even the knock-on impact it's had on big big companies, like water companies such as Thames Water. I um, don't think they're quite yet in administration yet, but they're in troubled waters, aren't they? Pardon the pun. Um, so shall we start on interest rates then? Um, I can give a bit of a summary, Stuart, on, on just what's kind of happened with that, why it's happened and stuff. So... So due to inflation not dropping as quickly as the Bank of England expected, they've now hiked interest rates up by another 0.5%, I think it was, uh, to try and curb inflation and bring the cost of living down. So I think that means interest rates are now hovering at around 5%. Um. So interest rates have a knock on effect on all loans, mortgages, credit cards, etc., that you get from banks in England. But I think like the huge worry for people has been mostly around the mortgage rates, because it's the biggest kind of source of loan that they have. Um and especially for those who are coming off fixed rate mortgages this year because they're the ones who are going to be impacted by this. If you if you're tied in, you you're not kind of hit by this at the minute. So I think I've seen some statistics around this. I think it's adding around 2,900 to mortgages each year and will obviously add pressure to those who are already struggling with the current cost of living crisis and will probably turn a lot of those in, like into poverty, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, so the reason they've hiked interest rates is effectively to take money out of people's pockets, which they hope will ensure less spending, therefore bringing down inflation. Is that right, Stuart, would you say? Yeah, I think that's generally right. I mean,
1: I think and one of the reasons, one of the challenges that it hasn't seemed to be effective so far, one of, one of the sort of reasons is that, or one of the suggestions is that the Bank of England didn't move fast enough. So instead of doing something you know, a bit like the Fed in America and going sort of hard and early and you know doing a big rate increase to really rein things back, they've gone for a more incremental approach. So there's criticism that the bank face about that incremental approach. But I think there's the other sort of more fundamental criticism is that by increasing the rates, it's it's this idea that it's sort of discretionary spending that's, that will be sort of reined back. Whereas actually, for many people, for a large part of the population, there isn't that discretionary spending anyway. So this is really sort of increasing the costs on the everyday outgoings. As you say, the mortgages, the loans that they've already taken out, so It's not discretionary spending, so again, therefore, it's not having the impact that you would think it would do. The challenge for the government is then okay, you've got the independent bank of England trying to sort out the inflation, what do you then do? Can you support people? What other policy levers do you have? And it's not very clear, uh, what those are. There may be some support for uh, mortgage, um, you know, uh, mortgage owners, uh, you know, those with mortgages, and some. Measures put in place there to make sure you can't get kicked out. If you have, you know, you repossessed quickly and sort of mortgage holiday payments and, and you know, those sorts of policies.
0: But that's being criticised for not being enough. So that's the real challenge that the government faces at the moment. I, I mean, Stuart, have we ever seen anything like this before? Like, obviously, I've I've only been here around about thirty years, and I I, I can't really recall anything being as bad as this. Even like the financial crashing always. I mean, I remember that being quite bad but like this seems like off the scale and it seems like it's a problem that's like really affecting absolutely everyone in society in Britain have you ever seen anything as bad as this uh look
1: I I don't think anything these things are ever sort of new but they luckily they don't come around very often but yes we have had you know high interest rates and I'm thinking the sort of late 1980s uh, I I I was quite young in the late 80s as well so I'm not going to you know uh, I'm not going to be able to give a complete uh, picture on the, uh, these things because uh, luckily I was still at school then but um <laughs> but there were interest rate uh, high interest rates and you know people's homes were being repossessed it was a big political issue at that time as well so it's not that it's completely unprecedented but we've had you know if you think I mean what's that best part of 30 years ago type thing it's a long time since we've had these sorts of pressures across the piece. And I think it was one Conservative MP this week sort of mentioned, you know, like, you know, they've got constituencies in nineteen nineties detached houses type thing, you know, but and these rates are causing them to think about politics and think about the way that the government is acting in a way that maybe they don't hadn't really tuned into before. So these sorts of policies are, you know. For huge amounts of people, really important, and make them engage in politics and make them think about the type of government and the sort of way they want to be led. So it changes. It does. It does shift and does change.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, like in terms of what the government can actually do on this, because I feel like a lot of it is it sounds like it's set by the Bank of England, and it feels like their only tool is increasing interest rates at, <laughs> at different like rates of speed, if that makes sense. And that's the only way they can kind of impact. Inflation, but what, what, like, what can the government actually do? Because like, I don't think I'm clear on like what can they, I mean, they, like, obviously they can support people and stuff like that, but in terms of like bringing inflation down, what what measures could they actually introduce? Well, I mean, they can change. You know, they can they can force the regulators. So there's a, there's a regulatory
1: change, and again, so um, uh, the Chancellor this week got the big five regulators. Uh, you know, across financial services, water. Um, uh, energy and um, communications in to see what they can do. So can the regulators shift behaviour, loosen regulations to sort of you know try and unblock the system in some way? Uh, others will say, actually, it's about, and again, I think uh, some Conservative MPs is just not, you know, just sort of party of political point, but would say... One of the problems that, we've, that really is, 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 is Labour, not the Labour Party, but Labour as in, you know, workers. And by concentrating our, you know, new uh, immigration system just on those with sort of high skills, that's fine. Except actually a lot of the blockages, a lot of the additional cost that's being put into our economy is because businesses and the public sector as well. But businesses don't have access to you know, less skilled labour. That's causing undue costs as well. So there are some policies that they can try and shift in terms of regulation, loosening regulation, Mm. more pressure on companies. They could definitely do that. They are trying to do that. Uh, But there are also policies that politically are unacceptable to this government and probably, you know, the Labour Party as well, but certainly unacceptable to this uh, government. So, there are things that they can do, but they often take time. Yeah. And frankly, we don't have time. And then, you know, the longer this goes on for, the more pressure comes in through, you know, private sector having to consider settlements, public sector. We've seen a wave of strikes across, you know, transport, health, uh, education, you know, and a range of other sectors as well. That will
0: continue whilst inflationary pressures are still there I, I mean like how does this then affect because obviously this government's big ticket item was around you know we've got to get the economy growing and all that kind of stuff so like how how, how does this affect their agenda of growth like because obviously there's a bit of a balancing act in play here like they've got to, got to grow the economy haven't they but they've also got to take money out of people's pockets at the same time which is a funny thing. I mean, like it seems virtually impossible. That,
1: doesn't it? I, I, I agree. I mean, there's a real tension there because if, if, if the idea of, you know, interest rate increases to sort of take away some of that, you know, spend that you don't have to, to, to do. Um, there are implications on businesses. Yeah. So people might not have the money to spend to help grow the economy. So then you ratchet back on that. So you end up in a, in a position where you potentially don't actually impact on inflation very much, but let's say inflation does come down a little bit, uh, but at the same time, the consequence of you know less cost in the economy is less growth. So you do try and, in those sort of circumstances, look for those international trade deals. I mean, this is only one way of doing it, but you know, you look for that exporting, you know, side of things. So effectively, you you you, you, you throttle back on growth here. But you try and get your growth by going, you know, outside of the borders of the UK and, and getting growth in, in that way. So things like the trade deals become, you know, really important. But again, you know, one of the problems or challenges here is that when I, mean, I didn't watch it last week, but there was a recent you know, question time which focused entirely on Brexit. Nobody will admit that there are downsides of Brexit. You know, we have a less good trading arrangement with the European Union now than we did when we were members. Now is exactly the sort of time that those sort of that ability to trade becomes more important. But you, could, yeah, you could well spend. I think you're entirely right. You could well see a situation where we don't have the growth. We might get back, you know, reduce, you know, inflation, but maybe by not that much. And even if they do come back on inflation, at some point, you know, when do you let the brakes off? When do you suddenly start reducing interest rates if that's your main tool? And and how quickly do you do that? Otherwise, what you then do is you think, "Hooray, we're all out of this. Let's cut by inflation," you know, sorry, interest by you know a half percent, a percent, percent and a half, whatever. But actually, all that does is then get everybody goes, "Hooray, let's go and spend cash again," and it and the problem happens again. Yeah, so that's a real yeah. challenge for
0: policymakers as well. God, it seems like there's so much to sort after, doesn't it? Like, uh, really Absolutely, yeah, broken Britain. But, but I mean, in terms of, I mean, I have seen Rishi saying, "Let's all hold our nerve." Um, it's pretty hard to do, isn't it? When you're on the, the, the breadline, really, you, you know, it, it, this isn't like a game of poker, really, is it? You know, this is people's lives that we're talking about and stuff. I don't is, is he is he just kind of saying stick with the plan, it'll work, we'll get out of this together, kind of thing. And you know, in in the next couple of years, is that is he really committed to this plan and is is he sticking to it? Yeah, I don't think. I, I, yeah, I don't. I'm, I'm not sure the government has too many other uh,
1: ideas about how it wants to solve this problem. So, but but also that comment. I mean, I think you know some comments, you know, stick with politicians for a long time. I mean, I think that one may. Yeah, be a bit of an albatross around his neck, because as a, an ultra ultra rich person, you know, as you might yeah. say Ben, it's it's easier for for them to say, "Don't worry about it, you know, hold your nerve, it'll all be okay." But when it's the difference between, you know, paying the electric bill or, you know, feeding the kids, that that's, that's just a completely different scenario for for so many people. So it, that that comment yeah. may hang around his neck. But it also he but he makes it on the basis of look, I'm Mr Steady, I'm Mr Progress, I'm you know, I'm Mr sort of managerialism when it comes to to politics. I have a plan, we'll get through this, this isn't Liz Truss and Boris and and you know, getting all over the place type thing, you know, I am different. So that comment in some ways does sort of sum up his political position, his his approach as Prime Minister, which is Steady as she goes. Hang with it. We'll get through it. We'll all come together, and it'll be okay. Now, for a lot of people, it won't. That depends how long it lasts. And of course, as you begin, you say, you know, he's he's insulated from it in a way that that, that mon, most of us uh, aren't. And he got an election. And look, you know, take it back to politics. There's an election in eighteen months or less. So, you know, the government is under considerable pressure, not just because of the economy, but electorally. It's got yeah. eighteen months to solve it. It's got to bring down inflation. And don't forget, it was only at the beginning of this year when Rishi was setting his five priorities that you know stopping small boats and halving inflation were you know the, you know two of those two of those five. And inflation was the one that most people went, well, that'll be easy to solve. Actually, it's not. It's proving really sticky and difficult. It's also yeah. about but it's also about productivity. You know, as a country, we're not very productive how do you solve that? Well, look, governments have been looking at that for, you know, 30 or more years. We are just less productive as a country, uh, as a UK, not just one country, but all the all countries across the UK, than, um, you know, France. And everybody, you know, and the policy will say, well, look at France, it's a basket case. And, you know, they only, you know, they, don't, they have minimum, you know, 40 hour weeks and 38 hour weeks and all these sort of things. And, you know, we're, so, we're unlike the French. Actually, we're worse than the French.
0: How do you how do you explain that, politicians? We haven't really been able to unpick that either. Yeah, is it is it something down to like the sectors that operated and then being lower in productivity? Because I know in terms of kind of like up around kind of Liverpool city region way and stuff, most of the the jobs are kind of public sector based and stuff like that, rather than kind of like private innovation. So, like, is that the same story for the rest of the country? And is that why productivity is low, or is it something
1: else? There are, I mean, if you look at reports by the Centre for Cities and, and other think tanks, you, there are, in that sense, hotbeds of public sector activity. And a lot of economies do absolutely rely on the public sector for jobs. As you say, Merseyside, Liverpool, but one of those areas, uh, traditionally, some areas around the North East, uh, similar. Uh, whereas you look at, you know, London, southeast, that's not that's not the same. Uh, you know, it's the private sector that's Delivers the growth. It's about, I mean, look, I mean, I'm not a, an expert on productivity, but it's about investment a lot yeah. of the time. Uh, and that's public and private, you know. So whether that's investment in, you know, machinery or modern tech or whatever it happens to be, and we don't do that very much. Um, yeah. And actually, I think that maybe comes into the conversation we're about to sort of shift onto in terms of, you know, the water. Uh, you know, sector, but we don't, we have never invested uh, yeah. you know, enough. I mean, there's always been investment, obviously, and some businesses are fantastic and some are fantastic more than, you know, and I'd mentioned the Northeast, but look at Nissan and, you know, the way that, you know, they are, you know, drive that Northeast economy, you know, uh, in a way that would be the envy of many other places across the country. So, you know, there are certain companies that absolutely do uh, invest,
0: but as a whole, we don't invest enough. Yeah. I mean, just, just before we do move on to Water, I was just going to look at kind of what this does mean in, in the run-up to the kind of next election, Stuart. And I mean, I can see the hold-your-nerve hold comment by Rishi. That's going to be kind of his ploy, isn't it, in the run-up to the next election? Obviously, if things don't get better in terms of the economy, in terms of inflation and stuff like that, he's going to kind of be saying, stick with us, trust us, and we'll get you through this difficult time. If we change governments now... It's going to be really kind of difficult, and that's not what we need. We don't need the Labour government spending all your money and getting borrowing up when we've effectively tried to take it down. I suppose what what's the what is Labour's tactic then? What 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 do you think they'll kind of offer in terms of trying to tackle this? And I know they've kind of said the government should force banks to help homeowners struggling with mortgages, and you know in terms of that that problem. But what's the wider kind of problem to tackle this economic crisis, really?
1: Uh, Well, I mean, they're only giving little tidbits of information away, aren't they, Ben? I think that's the... Your analysis is absolutely spot on. You know, Tories, stick with us. Don't trust that other bunch. You know, you think it's bad now. Wait till they get, you know, in control. Look what Gordon Brown did, which is now nothing compared with the current levels of debt or anything like that. But, you know, look what Gordon Brown did. You know if you look back in history you know you get a Labour government they uh, devalue the pound uh, you know they did in the you know, 50s 60s 70s uh, what does that mean well it means that you you know effectively we are less wealthy as a country look don't let them do that they've got a history for you know and they'll tax you and it'll be scare stories absolutely they're different Labour uh, are doing a couple of things you're right there's there's enough there at the moment with the banks to sort of show that they've got some sort of plan and trying to do something. But there's not loads of detail. There's not loads there. But in a sense, you know, 18 months out from an election, a year out from an election, you wouldn't expect them to. I think they will probably go hard on their, um, you know, green uh, policy agenda. I think that will be part of it. So, you know, making sure that, you know, um, things like insulation, They'll go, you know, roll out some sort of national rollout of insulation from homes. A, that's about, you know, job. I mean, I don't know if this helps, necessarily helps with inflation, but certainly, you know, uh, it certainly removes costs from households because they'll have to spend less on energy costs. So that will have, a, you know, a positive impact. Um, but by investing in the green sectors, renewables, the infrastructure of renewables, again, makes us more self-sufficient, Takes costs out, puts us at the forefront of the, you know, uh, you know, a growing, um, you know, sector. Again, internationally, that looks good as well. So, I would imagine they'll try and roll in some specifics, like the, you know, the bank attacks and the mortgages, and then the more general economic sort of story, and then putting that together, they'll say, "Look, this is how we grow this economy. This is how we get out of this mess." It'll be through a combination of different things, rather than having sort of one magic lever to pull that suddenly solves these problems because that doesn't exist.
0: So, I mean, we can wrap, wrap, wrap that one up now and maybe move on to the Thames Water situation, which is also being impacted really by the, the inflation not going down. So, just to give a bit of a summary of what's happened on that in case uh, listeners haven't seen it. So, inflation, yeah, it's not just impacting the interest rates, but it's also impacted on uh, Thames Water. So, I think what what I've read around this... um they currently have a debt i think of around 14 billion and i think it's largely down to them borrowing money from an australian infrastructure bank and i think that was to kind of like deliver improvements within the the system within the sewage system within the 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 piping and all that kind of stuff um so i think the interest payments on most of the debts with the bank rise with inflation instead of kind of interest rates so i think i think there's some kind of complicated formula going on there which I'll be honest, this way above my pay grade, but um, it's obviously pushed Thames water to the brink. So I think now there's talk of the government stepping in to save Thames water from collapse. Um, but yeah, just wanted to look. I mean, it's triggered a bit of a debate around should water companies be privatised or renationalised like they were kind of in the in the eighties. I'll be honest, I I've never really lived in a state steward in all my kind of years where it's been not na- anything's been nationalized so i was just wondering like if you've got any insight on like what what the kind of difference was between kind of like a nationalized water system or this privatized system that we're working under at the minute i've been talking to a few experts in the field i suppose who, who's worked in the water industry and stuff and i can give a bit of a, a summary of what they've been saying but yeah i just wondered if you had any like thoughts on that first?
1: Yeah, Ben, it's very uh, a very subtle reminder that yeah, I've been around long enough that I do remember <laughs> the nineteen eighties and I do remember when these things were uh, uh, privatised. Look, even at the time, they were some some were more controversial than others. Look, you know, the, the selling off British Telecom, um, British Gas, British Airways. You know, the early ones weren't particularly controversial. Uh, you start wrapping around to the sort of the late 1980s, uh, water, uh, later steel rail. Um, I mean, look, even Labour privatised the air traffic control system. And don't forget, it was the Lib Dems under Vince Cable that privatised the Royal Mail. So these things have been, you know, this this sort of process of privatisation of shifting from the public to the private has been with us for a very long time it's been an accepted part of the political agenda that this is what happens Corbyn comes along sort of tries to break that up at the you know the um you know the last general election and basically says we'll take it all over look frankly it's too expensive we can't afford it um and actually you know there's no there's no reason that running something in the public sector is you know better or worse but equally you know, did a you know do the privatised industries suddenly deliver a sea change in you know consumer, um, uh, or you know what was offered to consumers? You know, sort of you know suddenly with actually the answer to that is no. In some instances, in, but in others, you know more so. You know, but look, people have been complaining about the way that British Telecom was, you know, privatised because of the way that it had to um you know allowed. was slow, allegedly, you know, this is a complaint, in letting new entrants in, you know, it's all very well looking back over now, sort of, you know, 30, 35 years or so and saying, well, there was a massive transformation. Yeah, but, you know, they've had to be forced down that route. It's often the regulatory system and the regulatory requirements that are put in, you know, around it. But, you know, in some of those instances, particularly water, do I have a choice in who my water provider is? No, no, I don't. So they weren't they weren't privatized is, again. There were different models, but anyway, they weren't privatized and sort of broken up and then in competition introduced in a lot of instances. Instead, they were privatized as monopolies or duopolies.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's the I think that's the fundamental issue. Um, and if you bring it back into the public sector, you know it can still be run badly in the public sector. It can be run p- badly yeah. in the public sector in the private sector it doesn't. I think the real problem, the real nub of the problem in, in any sectors, and we're seeing a little bit of this in rail because some, as to some of the franchises come to and an they're being sort of brought back in and directly operated, we may see it in water if, depending on what happens with, you know, Thames, um, is that the money is back on the government's books. So if we yeah. think our level of debt now is too high, let's suppose. You've suddenly then got, okay, well, we need to invest all this now extra money in you know the water system. Yeah. Sewage. We can't swim in rivers, can't swim on the beach, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. We've got too many leaks and so on. That's back on the public book. Suddenly we are all explicitly paying through that for that, through our tax and those sorts of ideas. And somebody's got to pay for that, and that's us, but not as consumers, but as taxpayers. And therefore, water is competing against schools, is competing against health, is competing against defence, is competing against whatever, you know, all these other sectors. That's a problem. That's a real issue for government. And let's just say they take Thames back in because they have to. Does that mean that they then start investing more in Thames? Does that mean that the other water companies don't have to do what they're doing or they're going to come with a begging bowl to the government to... to oh, suddenly this
0: looks hugely more complicated than it was. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's what I was going to kind of ask Stuart. Is this going to be like a bit of a step change in how things are, I suppose, delivered and how things are run and stuff like that? Because, I mean, like, for me at the minute, you just see it on news all the time. Like, it just feels like everything is crumbling around us. <laughs> it's like from trains to, like, you know, trains, they're operating, and it's not just down to strikes, it's down to... God knows what else. But, like, they're never on time. They're always running late. Lots of them are cancelled, stuff like that. The water, as you say there, you know, beaches are polluted and all that kind of stuff. We can't go and swim in our seas and all that that stuff. It just feels like we're getting a level of service that's really poor um, compared to what it's been in in recent years. And I I just wondered if it is maybe, not the collapse of privatisation, but I don't know, is is it showing that, like, there might be an alternative way of of running these companies that, that isn't all about privatisation? There are definitely
1: alternatives. I mean, you know, some... I th- I'm, I'm going to make this up now. I think it's one of the Welsh water companies is a, is a cooperative. Right. Uh, and there are different models, uh, cooperative models and, you know, mutual models. So, you know, you know, the idea that you shift a company in that sense from the public sector to the private sector and then suddenly... You know they have shareholder demands, but they're going to be really innovative in terms of you know consumer behaviour. Da, da, da. You know that's not the only model. There are other ways of doing these things. Are we quite there yet? I don't know. I I I I'm not entirely sure. I mean, it's been such a part of how we've run our country now for a very long time that it's very difficult to 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 un, unpick it and to put another model, you know, forward. We just don't think about the role of the state in that sense in, in that way anymore. You know, the state doesn't run bits of our lives in this country in a way that would have been the case, you know, in that post-war era, sorry, era, uh, you know, right the way through to the, you know, the early 1980s. So I, I, I'm not quite sure. I I, I'm, I remain to be convinced, but... You're right, there is a challenge here of Broken Britain and that is one that will come back in the election because, you know, there's a report out recently about, you know, pupils in schools living in, sort of, you know, learning in effectively unfit conditions. Same for hospitals, you know, railways you've mentioned. I mean, you know, somebody that's involved, uh, you know, in local government, Ben, I'm sure, you know, you're only too aware of people complaining about potholes in roads. You know, it's one of the big, big, (laughs) it's the big local issue, isn't it? So um, all of these things all contribute to this idea that this place is falling apart. Now, whether that is the reality or not, but it's people's lived experiences. When that lived experience of expensive housing and, or I can't buy a house, or if I can buy a house, it's too expensive, or I can't rent, I got a car, the car's falling apart, I'm being forced to change it for an electric car, and pot, going down potholes constantly I can't go on the train because I can't rely on the train so I've got to drive
0: all these things that's the setting of the next general election 100% yeah 100% I mean ju- just around this, this podcast off today Stuart the, the last question I had really was around what was I suppose what triggered the step change from nationalised organisations in the 80s to privatise, and then was it all money driven? Was it all like money? Was it down to the economy? Was the economy lagging or something like that? And it was the drip feed through to, to privatising organisations because I'm just thinking that we are we at this juxtaposition juxta now where it's um, it's time for a change. Do you know what I mean? Because it feels like we are getting to a bit of a a crunch point, really.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I'm sure other people will put forward other models and and you know you know challenge what is the now the status quo of the private sector knowing best really and you know in the 70s certainly look in in, it's very you can't draw direct comparisons but you know were there huge economic problems was there inflation etc yes there was and one of the ways that the then incoming conservative government under Margaret Thatcher thought that they would change that narrative of decline and strikes and you know poor delivery etc was through the role of the private sector so you you know in that sense um it was quite um ideological not in a so good or bad way but quite an ideolo- ideological way that you have the private sector involved and therefore you know because they have a different way of working they will control their costs they will deliver what consumers want because if they don't, then they die, and then you have that sort of market imperative there that you know, you know drives improvement, productivity, etc. So there was that. Um You had the fact that actually, look, a lot of these, guys, a lot of the private sector, public sector ones were pretty poorly run. But again, arguably not because the people in charge of them weren't very good or whatever. And look, if anybody talks about British Rail, all they ever say is, "Well, at least we don't have the curly sandwiches anymore," which is complete crap. It's become a sort of you know a, a sort of a by phrase for poor behaviour. What the real problem was, and you know if you speak to people that were involved, uh, you know, in British Rail and the, and the sector before them, was not so much that they didn't have good people running the systems; they did. The real problem was that because the money was on the government's books, there was no long-term security of funding. So, in other words, you can't think, right, I really need to invest in that bit of rail infrastructure, which is expensive and takes time. Because actually, I only know that I've got this budgetary settlement for a year. After that year, I then have to go back to the Treasury and argue for more money. So I can't plan long-term it also means that this pot of money could be raided by a, a, you know the government to pay for other stuff as well so again I you know a counter argument would be that actually it wasn't the fact that the public sector was per se not very good at doing things it was the structures in place and and that's part of the problem with just shifting something now from the private back to the public is unless you have the regulations and the structures in place to prevent some of that from happening again will just end up looking like badly run organisations in the public sector as opposed to badly run organisations in the private sector. So it's for me, it just needs a, a you know more thought. Flicking yeah. between one sector or the other, in that sense, doesn't solve your problems.
0: Yeah, and I suppose, yeah, like you were saying before, a huge issue for kind of whoever's coming in in the next government, I suppose. Um, and I think the so other yeah. thing then is, you know, sorry, just to cut across you, was, you know, in the 80s, you know, it, it very much
1: played into the conservative narrative, the Thatcher narrative of, of giving you aspiration, of giving you more choice. You could buy your council house. You could buy shares in these newly privatised uh, utilities Uh and British Airways and, you know, and others as well. That was a huge change. So, you know, psychologically, it really did transform the way that people across the country, particularly working people, but, you know, Thought about their stake in society, it it really did change things, and it's been one of the reasons why it's been so, you know,
0: unpopular to try and unpick that at any point. Sorry. No, no. I mean, honestly, Stuart could talk to you about this all day, but I know we're uh, we're coming to the end now, aren't we? So we can. Sorry, don't. I've probably gone on can. too long. Sorry. <laughs> no, about no, that. Don't, don't be <laughs> We can carry this on after the the podcast finishes recording. But for everyone else, I, I hope you really enjoyed today's episode, and um yeah, hopefully you've got. A good understanding now of kind of inflation interest rates coming from the two two experts in the room i suppose to say that Some <laughs> A bit of ancient history in there as well so that's yeah. it that's it so um yeah so thanks for joining us again today and yeah look forward to, to speaking again soon but take care all. Bye. bye.
1: cheers bye bye